good morning, church. Thank you, worship team. I, I long to be back up here with you. Johnny's leaving. I think I'm going to put my name in once again for that vocal spot that I've been, it's been eluding me for years now. Um, well, welcome this morning. My name is David Duncan. I have the, the, the joy and the privilege and the honor of serving as an elder here at this church. Um, and it's my joy to be in the pulpit this morning as we finish up our series entitled Walking in Wisdom from the book of Proverbs. As you recall, we began our series with uh, the truth from Scripture that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And it's upon that truth that we're here, uh, that we were then given instruction on how to walk in wisdom's path. And then we were told how to have uh, godly, God-fearing families. Um, we've um, contrasted the path of folly versus a path of wisdom. In that same vein, we've contrasted uh, from Proverbs, diligence versus sloth and pride versus humility. And last week, Todd instructed us concerning the use of our tongues. And after uh, all this preaching, what should be obvious at this point is that there are two primary paths laid out before us in the book of Proverbs, the path of wisdom and the path of foolishness. And I submit to you that the decisions that we make and the directions that we take are on one of these two paths. And so it's with this truth in mind that we come to our final topic of the series this morning, which is so crucial and so critical that I have worn my officially ACBC, Association of Certified Biblical Counseling, socks into the pulpit. <laughs> That's how critical this is. Oh, here we go. I'll show you. I'll give you all a little bit right there. That's right. I'm glad oh. wearing their boxer shorts. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> It's going to be hard to cut that out, Todd. Thank you. Um, it's, it's a topic that I, I've entitled the wisdom of wise counsel. The wisdom of wise counsel. Well, on this topic, we will also address the topic of biblical counseling, hence the socks, which in case you haven't been to our step classes, is one of our six key distinctives at our church. So if you would let me open us in prayer and then we'll get right into the the sermon. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to come into your pulpit and preach your word to your people. Because we are yours. You have bought us with a price. We praise you for that. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you illuminate your text, that you teach us, that you counsel us, and you comfort us. And I pray this morning as I preach that you would indeed protect the words of my mouth. You would give wisdom and discernment, Lord, and you would also give wisdom and discernment to the hearers that Everyone in our church would be true Bereans and would search your scriptures for truth. In Christ's name, amen. So the, the key points we're going to look at this morning is what is counsel? What, what is counseling, in particular biblical counseling? Uh, we're going to address why you should get counsel. I mean, why, why the topic of counseling? Uh, thirdly, we're going to look at where should you go for counsel? Uh, and who should you get counsel from? Uh, fourth, why do we neglect wise counsel? And then fifth, we're going to look at some practical helps and observations related to our topic of wise counsel. Now, I think I've said this before, but one of my favorite preachers is Dr. Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. He passed away, but he was a phenomenal preacher, and he said that a sermon should do four things. It should stretch our minds. It should inform and instruct us. It should provoke the will. It should challenge you to do what God wants you to do. It should warm your heart. It should inspire you. And number four on Dr. Lockridge's list was it should tan your hide. It should correct you. And I truly hope to accomplish all four of these this morning. So let's go to it. If you've been around our church for any length of time, you are sure to have heard the phrase wisdom is found in a multitude of counselors, haven't you? Wisdom is found in a multitude of counselors. We say it all the time. And we say this because scripture is full of examples of wise counsel. The book of Proverbs in particular mentions counsel throughout the word counsel is used 88 times in the NASB and 110 times in the ESV. And the word counselor is used 30 times in the NASB and 31 times in the ESV. Counseling is so important, it's mentioned that many times in Scripture. So that leads us naturally to the question, what is counsel? If wisdom is found in wise counsel, and our church espouses that, wisdom is found in a multitude of counselors, we even go so far as to have a key distinctive of practicing biblical counsel in our church we have to ask, what is counsel? What is counseling? Well, y'all know me. I always have to look words up. And so, uh, counsel. It's the advice and direction that's given to another. Or it's advice given especially as a result of consultation. 
So then I said, well, what's a counselor? It's a person who gives advice or counsel. Whereas a counselee is the one who, guess what, receives the counsel. I didn't even have to look that up. It all made sense to me. Dr. Heath Lambert, in his book, A Theology of Biblical Counseling, which is a book that the elders studied a while back, helps us greatly when he writes a wonderfully concise and workable definition of counseling. Dr. Uh, Lambert says this, Counseling is a conversation where one party with questions, problems, and trouble seeks assistance from someone they believe has answers, solutions, and help. He goes on to write, therefore, that people are counseling all the time. And I love when he unpacks a little bit more by saying this, one member of the counseling conversation must have a dilemma. And they must be aware of it in order for them to want to receive counsel for any length of time. And I want to interject something here. It is critical that the one you're trying to counsel, the counselee, realize they have a dilemma. When, when they don't realize they have a dilemma, you end up pouring into what I like to call a counseling black hole. And so it is critical that we realize there's a dilemma. And Dr. Lambert goes on to explain, just to make sure he's clear, the definition has two sides. First, one requires that one party has to have questions, problems, and trouble. The second side is that another party in the conversation is to have answers, solutions, and help. Does that make sense? I mean, it's just such a clear and concise. Counseling's a conversation where one party with questions, problems, and trouble, i.e. a dilemma, seeks assistance from someone they believe has answers, solutions, and help. The reason I think it's such a wonderful definition is this. It doesn't matter where you go for counseling or who you seek counsel from, that definition works. If you go to a therapist or a psychoanalyst or a psychiatrist or your parent or a friend or you go to a coworker or you go to a biblical counselor, that particular definition works. Now, why should we get counsel? Why should we get counsel? Why do we need counseling? Why is counseling so important for us to consider this morning? Well, I'm going to answer that by asking a couple of questions. Who in here, by show of hands, and I want to be loud and proud. I mean, honestly, if you feel that you should raise your hand, I want to see it. Who in here believes that they know everything there is to know about any and every subject or issue and as such have no need of any advice or any counsel on any issue that can come up in their life? Just loud and proud. I figured there might be a kid uh, or certainly a teenager, right? Um, yeah, nobody. Um, Thomas Akempis uh, so thoughtfully wrote this. He lived back in the late 1300s, 1400s. He said, uh, who is so wise as to have perfect knowledge of all things? Therefore, trust not too much to your own opinion, but be ready also to hear the opinion of others. Though your own opinion be good, yet if for the love of God you forego it and follow that of another, you shall the more profit thereby. David even writes in Psalm 19, 12, that uh, we read last week as our call to worship, who can discern his errors? None of us. None of us. We all have blind spots. None of us know we're deceived when we're deceived. That's the nature of being deceived. What we go to someone with when we trust someone, and we ask them, how can I get, you, can I get your advice on something? Um, I got problems with my kids. How, can you help me just in my parenting? Um, or what about just a day-in-day-out discussions with your spouse or your family? You know, what's going on? Help me with this. Help me with that. Uh, your family is so important. Kelly and I, we're in a sweet little season of life where we're empty nesters. And so all the kids are kind of out of the house, but they're also in their 20s. And so they're calling us constantly for counsel. Uh, we could have wonderful conversations with them that involve their asking for counsel about life circumstances. And Scripture has much to say about the wisdom of wise counsel. So open up with me to the book of Proverbs. You knew we had to get there. Our series is out of Proverbs. And turn to chapter 11, starting in verse 14. And as the old phone book commercial used to say, let our fingers do the walking. Today at lunch, everybody that's over the age of 45, please explain to those under the age of 45 what a phone book is and what let our fingers do the walking means. Um, now, we're going to go through a lot of scripture today, and most of it is in the pulpit curriculum. And so, uh, 
If you can't get it all down, I understand. So just wait for the pulpit curriculum or see Kevin Van Voris. He'll be happy to email you his notes. He will have better notes on my sermon than I have standing up here preaching it. <laughs> Amen. Proverbs eleven fourteen says this. Where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Proverbs 12, 15. Just turn over a little bit. Proverbs 12, 15 reads, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. That's the blind spot. That's the deception. But a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Now bear in mind, we're looking at these to say, why should we get counsel? Proverbs 13.10. Proverbs 13.10 says, through insolence. The, the, the word insolence in the Hebrew there means presumptuousness or overconfidence. Comes nothing but strife. But wisdom is with those who receive counsel. Proverbs 15.22 Without consultation, plans are frustrated. That, that word in the Hebrew, frustrated, means literally to go wrong. They break. But with many counselors, they succeed. Proverbs 19.20, just a few more pages over. Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. Proverbs 20.18. I told you we had a lot of scripture, didn't I? Proverbs 20.18 Prepare plans by consultation and make war by wise guidance. And lastly, Proverbs 24, 6. Proverbs 24, 6. For by wise guidance you will wage war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. It's so clear and it's so obvious, isn't it? How successful would a general be if that general didn't meet with their staff before going into war, it would go horrible. The general must meet with his staff. Um, how many businesses would be successful if they launched without a business plan? It, they wouldn't even know where they were headed. How many financial retirement goals for all of our financial planners in the house? Uh, here's kuda. It will prop up for you all. How many financial retirement goals would be met? without using a good financial planner for wise counsel. I mean, Scripture is so clear to us, and yet, how many times are we guilty of making substantial life decisions without seeking or asking for wise counsel? A lot of us are guilty of asking for advice after we've made a decision or after we've taken an action. When Scripture is clear, so very clear, a path of wisdom is that we should seek counsel before we take action. We should seek counsel when we have questions, troubles, and problems, when we have a dilemma. So my hope thus far is just that we've, we have a working understanding of counsel and counseling, um, and that the scriptures that we've looked at have made the case that wisdom is found truly in a multitude of counselors. Therefore, we should indeed seek counsel. Is everybody tracking with that? Yeah, I heard a yes and saw a bunch of heads nodding. So now we come to our next points of consideration, and these, in my opinion, these are essential because it is critical to choose wisely where you go for counsel and who you get counsel from. It is critical you choose wisely where you go for counsel and who you get counsel from. So first, as a believer, where should we go for wise counsel? Where should we not go? Well, let's set that answer up using Scripture because Scripture is truth. Uh, turn to Ephesians 4, chapter, uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to go to verse 11. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, General Electric Power Company. It's the E right there, Ephesians 4. And Ephesians 4, 11 through 15 says this. Paul writes, I still feel the, hear the pages turning, I love that sound. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to, of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now here we go. As a result, so as a result of all this equipping, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. 
Go over just a couple more books to the book of Colossians. Book of Colossians, just go right a little bit. Chapter 2. And I'm reading this to set up where we should go for counsel. Colossians 2, 8 through 10 in the NASB reads this. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. According to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. He is the head over all rule and authority. And so when you start thinking about counseling and where you would get counsel, um, there's primarily three different places available today that you would go for counsel. And we talk about this in step two. Uh, The first place that a lot of people go is they end up going to what's called secular counseling. So you got secular counseling. Uh, That's, you know, psychiatry, psychology, psycho this, psycho that. Um, The the middle, as I'll call it, is called integrated counseling. And then we have, I'll go to the right because God is on the right, is, uh, is, is biblical counseling. Biblical counseling. Now, when you start looking at secular counseling, the, the five fathers of secular counseling is Freud, Jung, James, Pavlov, and Adler. You can also throw in there Skinner, Hegel, Marx, Nietzsche. Um, let me ask you just a question here. What do all the founders of psychiatry and psychology as we know it today have in common? Say so They're all atheists. Every single name I listed is an atheist. They all reject the word of God as absolute truth. They all reject that God has created man and created woman in his image, the imago dei of God. They all reject that. Every single one of them. And so you've got the modern approach that people, unfortunately, even in the church will use for people who don't even believe the very Bible that they say that they believe. Does that make sense? That makes no sense to do that. Now, you've got integrated counseling, which is a person that says, well, I believe that the Bible is sufficient. I believe it's enough, but I want to reach over here and grab what the atheists have developed, and I want to pull that in, and I want to integrate the two. And so I'm going to use the Bible where I think it would apply, and I'm broad brushing this to some extent, but this is pretty much how it works. I'm going to pull what the Bible says because I believe the Bible's right, but it's not sufficient. And so I've got to pull over here what the atheists have developed over time, and I've got to pull that in. That's integrated. Our church believes in what's called biblical counseling. We believe that the word of God is sufficient. That's also why biblical counseling says that um, it's a theological discipline. See, here's the problem with modern psychiatry and psychology. The secular view, it's identity theft. It, It takes you and it teaches you how to cope, but it gives you no hope. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, you don't have to turn there, just write it down, I'll just read this to you. Here's here's the gospel. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, that's sex before marriage, neither idolaters, adulterers, sex during marriage, effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindles will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11, such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. See, that's the gospel. Modern secular has nothing to offer except how to cope. The gospel is the only thing that says you were this, but you now are that. It gives hope. It gives hope. Your identity, if you're in Christ, is that you're in Christ. And what a beautiful identity that is if you've been saved by Christ. Tozer said this, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's why in biblical counseling, first and foremost, why we believe in that is because the counsel of the Lord is preeminent. The counsel of the Lord is preeminent. See, biblical counseling espouses that we're all affected. Our hearts are affected by three primary issues. Our own sin the sin of others, and the consequences of sin in the world. If you think through just your own heart and the issues and the struggles in in growing up, in life, all together, it's typically going to fall your own sin, 
the sin of others against you or just absolutely the sin, uh, the consequence of sin in this world, what's called the noetic effect of sin. This is why we teach in our membership classes, quote, only the God of the scriptures can explain causes and offer solutions that lead to godliness and a fruitful, joyful life. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness, 2 Peter 1.3. We must understand that as Proverbs 21.30 says, there is no wisdom and no understanding and no counsel against the Lord. Human wisdom is nothing in comparison to the wisdom of God, J.H. Greenstone said on this topic. The NET Full Notes Bible, which I love using for teaching and study, says about this verse 2130, there's no wisdom, no understanding, no counsel against the Lord. It says this verse uses a single sentence to state that all wisdom, understanding, and vice must be in conformity to the will of God to be successful. It states it negatively, these things cannot be in defiance of God. Isaiah 40, verses 13 and 14, just make that note there, I'll read it to you. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Or who, as his counselor, has informed him? With whom did he consult, and who gave him understanding? And who taught him in the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and informed him in the way of understanding? The answer is no one. No one has informed the Lord. Job twelve thirteen says, With him are wisdom and might. To him belong counsel and understanding. Isaiah 28, 29 says, This also comes from the Lord of hosts, who has made his counsel wonderful and his wisdom great. Proverbs 19, 21. Many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. If you weren't here for the first sermon in our series, go back and listen to Curtis break that open for us. Proverbs 8, 14. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. Power is mine. The Lord is preeminent. Everything was made by the Lord Jesus Christ, through the Lord Jesus Christ, and for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we adhere to biblical counseling. The second reason why we adhere to biblical counseling is because we have God's Word. We believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, which, easy enough to understand, means that we believe the Scripture is sufficient. That's why we also teach in our step classes Quote, that he changes us as we discipline ourselves through obedience to the word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 2 Peter 1, 5 through 11 are great references there. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this, All scripture is inspired by God, meaning it's God-breathed, and proper for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that... I love so that's and therefore so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Where you, we are used the word of God, we use the word of God to train in righteousness, to equip for every good work. And this is done by the power of the Holy Spirit that works in us. Philippians 2.13, which is my favorite verse, said it is he who works in us that causes us to will and work for his good pleasure. That's why when we're told to work out our salvation in Philippians 2.12, we can do that. Furthermore, biblical counseling holds to the belief that all of us, every person sitting here today who is in Christ, are called to counsel. We need to be a church that counsels each other. Therefore, we should get counsel from other believers, but not non-believers. They have nothing to offer the world, do you understand? The world has nothing to offer in the way of wise counsel. Thomas Kempis here again helps where he says this, Do not open your heart to every man, but discuss your affairs with one who is wise and who fears God. Don't open your heart. Don't seek counsel from just every man, every woman, but only discuss your affairs with one who is wise and who fears God. So young people, look up. Where should you go for counsel? Other 15-year-olds? 16-year-olds? People your own age? Proverbs 1.8 says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. God has given us godly parents for a reason. So we're also to go to godly friends. 
Proverbs 27, 9 says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, so a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. Proverbs 18, 15, The mind of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. The goal of biblical counseling is to help other believers look like Christ. As ACBC states it, quote, The work of counseling is fundamentally the work of helping Christians to grow in the grace of sanctification. Or as one fellow elder told me over a plate of chili Rolano last Sunday before an evening church, it's helping a Christian to think and act like a Christian. That's what biblical counsel is. That's what we're to do. Do you get this? We need each other. We desperately need each other. That's why we desire every member of our church to be in a life group. You've heard it said and we'll continue to say it. We believe about 80% of the stuff that comes into our lives can be handled in that relationships in our life groups. Because we have the Word, we have the Holy Spirit as believers, and we can give counsel to each other. Now, there will be times where there's more accountability or concentrated discipleship needed from somebody that has more training and experience. And that's where officially what we call biblical counseling steps in. But I want to just take a little of the mystique away. Biblical counseling is nothing more than intensive discipleship. That's all biblical counseling is. It's intensive discipleship. And that's why it's key that all this takes place in the context of a local church. That way that we're under the care of elders and fellow believers who are committed to each other. That way if church discipline does arise, which and you go back and listen to Adam's sermon on church discipline, the whole goal of church discipline is for restoration. It's to bring a person to repentance for the thing they claim, which is that they're in Christ. And that's why we've got four steps before we'd ever come before the church. Our desire is that they would be restored to a right relationship with Jesus Christ first vertically and then horizontally with anyone else that they have sinned against. That's why church discipline is important. That's just, in, that's just even more intensive biblical counseling. So we've addressed who we should listen to. I do want to just touch on one person that we should not ever get all of our counsel from. And this is a person that everyone sitting here knows all too well. In this day and age, the primary place today's culture tells us to go for counselors where? Ourselves. So much so that my own beloved, I call it the foundation center because I grew up in Hickory. And I actually went there when C.O. Miller knew everybody's name. But at the foundation center, when you're going down the steps, there's a picture, seven rules for life. And I, I usually take other steps because I can't handle seeing them. But the local YMCA, we got that slide up right there, number two. Ignore them. Don't listen to other people. Live a life that's empowering to you. Just ignore them. That's at the Young Men's Christian Association. That is so counterculture. Our culture today tells us to be authentic. It tells us to be true to ourselves. It says, trust yourself. You be you. It's all about your happiness. And as of late, even going so far as to say, and I've heard it in sermons from preachers, and I hear it in songs that are being put out, that we're supposed to forgive ourselves. We're supposed to even go so far as to forgive ourselves. It's all about self. Let me tell you, the problem with saying you should forgive yourself is if you can forgive yourself, there's no need for Jesus Christ to have been crucified on the cross. You're your own little savior. That's the lie from the pit of hell that's being put out in this generation right now. So much so that we're even telling people that their very identity, where God says in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, I have created them male and female. I, the Mago Dei, I've given them my identity. They, they have... They have genders that have been given by God himself. That it's so much about self, they get to decide now what they're going to be. And our culture promotes that. Absolutely promotes that. Proverbs 18.1 clearly states, In the NASB, He who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. Doesn't that sound like somebody that says that I'm going to listen to myself? I'm going to give counsel to myself. The ESV about that same verse says, Whoever isolates himself, seeks his own desire, he breaks out against all sound judgment. And every once in a while, i got to go my old true Southern Baptist roots. King James says, Through desire a man, having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. 
You get it? When we isolate ourselves and seek our own counsel, we're only seeking our own desires and we're quarreling against all sound wisdom. Why? Why is that so dangerous? Because Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 clearly tells us, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. We should not trust our own hearts, and most certainly we should refrain from getting counsel from the fool, from unbelievers and those that are wicked. Proverbs 12, 5 says, The thoughts of the righteous are just, but the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. Psalm 1-1 says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. You see that progression? First he's walking with them, and then he's standing with them, and then he's sitting with them. And that's what will happen when you seek counsel outside of the Scriptures, outside of the truth of God's Word, outside of fellow believers who you know for certain are walking with the Lord and love you and want to give you that truth. Leviticus 19.31 says, Do not turn to mediums or spiritists. Do not seek them out to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Zodiac signs, astrology, horoscopes, Eastern mysticism, yoga that practices Eastern mysticism, the Enneagram, which is based off of Eastern mysticism. All these things are outside of the counsel of the Lord. Now, as I reflected on myself and my experience in counseling, being counseled, discipling others, I was led to reflect on this question, which is our fourth point. Why do we neglect wise counsel? Another way to ask it is, when do I, when do we least desire wise counsel and discipleship? And in case you're wondering, we are coming to the hide tanning portion of the sermon. And the, the, the obvious answer to me was actually when we need it most. We need counsel when we need it most. So the first place that I landed, when I'm in desperate need of counsel, and you're in desperate need of counsel, is when we're in sin. It's when we're in sin. Diedrich Bonhoeffer states it so clearly in his book Life Together when he writes this. Sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more attractive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. That is Proverbs 18.1 being lived out. That is what sin does. And you got to understand, that's why most sin is discovered not confessed. Most sin, especially in intensive situations that require intensive counseling, is discovered, not confessed. Most of the time it's a Galatians 6.1 situation. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. That's, that's counsel. Fulfill the law of Christ by bearing one another's burdens. So the first reason I think that we neglect it is when we're in sin. The second is because of fear of man. Because of fear of man. Proverbs 28, 13 says that he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. James 5 tells us to confess our sins one to another. Yet because of the sin of fear of man, we don't do that. It, it, here's what it is. We are actually more afraid of what others will think about us than what the Lord Jesus Christ thinks of us. That's why so often we say, oh, I'll confess it to the Lord. But when we get into life groups, when we go to mutual ministry, we won't bring it up. I mean, those are the people that God has given as a means to help you deal with your sin. And so we say, oh, I went before the Lord. But you won't go before other people. That means you think more of that person, that friend, that man or that woman sitting with you than you think of a holy, holy, holy God. 
The third reason that I think we neglect to get counsel is when our, the counsel we know will be contrary to what we want to hear. When the counsel is contrary to what we want to hear. Um, when we're in sin, and when we're thinking about making a decision that is sinful, the last thing we want is godly people bringing us godly counsel, isn't it? So I've had people who are considering divorce who think that that person they're having adultery with is who they would want to be with. We've all seen that. And they think that, oh, some of the Lord, I prayed that the Lord's leading me that way. Or sometimes we have prideful actions and unloving actions towards others. A couple few years ago, I wrote an email to one of my brothers on the elder team and it wasn't that loving, it wasn't that caring. A couple months go by and there was another situation that popped up. And so I wrote the same tenor and tone of email to that same brother who I love. Yeah, it's incomprehensible how much I love this man. And so uh, a couple of the elders, actually three of them, who love me and who have seen this from me in the past cared for me. And they said, hey, we need to meet with you. So I went up to the meeting and I, I even grabbed a guy that I thought might be on my side. That's a fact, sadly. And these men loved me and they walked me through what they were seeing in my life. And they asked me questions. And I started off defiant at first and I started off defensive at first and I started out justifying my positions at first. I even told my wife, hey, here's what's going on. And, and she's like, well, you know, think about this and think about that. And as I sat there and the Holy Spirit softened my heart because these men love me. I repented. And I asked this brother to forgive me. And I haven't done those things since. And I praise the Lord for that. That counsel was contrary to what I wanted to hear. It was also contrary to what I thought was true. But these are men that love me and they're looking into my life and they're seeing something. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one look into yourself. Don't let arrogance pop up. Don't let pride pop up so that you too will not be tempted. So that's our third reason. So first is that we're in sin, and out of that flows a fear of man. And then out of that will flow a, that we don't want counsel that's contrary to what we want to hear. And then the fourth reason is one that, that, as I was reflecting, this hit me several years ago when I was on a mission trip to Uganda and to Puerto Rico the year after. And in the remote villages of Uganda where we were doing ministry, and our team just got back from there, Wobelinzi and that whole area, um, I mean, it's, it's a third world country. Same as Puerto Rico, in my estimation. Um, there, was a, there was a man under church discipline at that church in Uganda. And as I've said, church discipline is just a process of intensive discipleship where the goal is repentance, reconciliation, and restoration. And the thing about being in Uganda, the thing that hit me that I want to bring to us this morning is this. That brother had to sit under that church discipline at that church because in Uganda, you got a little patch of land. And when I say little, this stage is bigger than most people live on. And you don't have a car. You might have a boda boda. And you, you live in that community. You don't get to leave. You don't get to go to another church down the road when things get tough. You don't get to find another church down the road when you're under church discipline. And so therefore, you have to submit to scriptures. You have to submit to those that love you. You feel the weight and the pressure of the, the people in that church that care for you to come alongside you, and you don't get to leave. But in America, we got two things that are so different. We've got churches on every corner, or so-called churches. And then the other thing is the poorest in our country has a greater income than most of those in all other countries. You see, our wealth is a stumbling block to our getting and sitting under wise counsel. Proverbs 18.11 says, a rich man's wealth is his strong city and a high wall in his own imagination. Living in this country with the wealth that we have, we rise up in pride, we have high walls in our own imagination, and therefore we will not submit to godly counsel. And then the last reason that hit me as I was reflecting on this before the Lord the last reason why I've seen that people in the church neglect wise counsel and don't desire it 
is the simple fact that they're unsaved. They're unsaved. They, they may have walked down front and said a prayer. They, they may have been baptized, but yet they're not truly in Christ. And apart from them truly being in Christ, they have no will and no desire to submit to godly counsel. Proverbs 15, 12 says, A scoffer does not love one who reproves him. He will not go to the wise. My, one of my favorite dead guys, as we call it, is Charles Spurgeon, as most people know. Spurgeon says this about the unsaved. If the professed convert distinctly and deliberately declares that he knows the Lord's will, but does not mean to attend to it, you are not to pamper his presumption, but it is your duty to assure him that he is not saved. Do you imagine that the gospel is magnified or God glorified by going to the worldlings and telling them that they may be saved at this moment by simply accepting Christ as their Savior while they are wedded to their idols and their hearts are still in love with sin? If I do so, I tell them a lie. I pervert the gospel, insult Christ, and turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. We must speak to truth if this is the case. Those who are in the church but really aren't in the church. See, there are no unbelievers in God's church because Christ has saved them. They are called out. He has justified them. But in our church, there's plenty of unsaved, whether they know it or not. And we must speak the truth to them. Unsaved are not privy to the sweet counsel of God by his word through the power of the Holy Spirit. We must cease from casting our pearls before swine and we must give them the gospel. Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it, the gospel, is the power for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And please remember, I, I said that Dr. Lambert, in his quote, he said that uh, for counseling to occur with any longevity, quote, one member of the counseling conversation must have a dilemma. And it's not just that they have a dilemma, but they must have an awareness of their dilemma. That makes sense? And it's my duty and it's my responsibility this morning to bring up the most crucial dilemma that everyone in this world has. And that's the dilemma that we were all born into sin. We are all born totally depraved. And in that depravity, you're not just broken, as many popular songs like to sing today. We are dead in our sins. We are, sin we are sinners, we are sons of disobedience, haters of God, rebellious to God, and as such, every man and every woman sitting here today that has not trusted in Christ as our Lord and Savior has the very wrath of God abiding on them at this very moment. That's the dilemma. See, we love John 3.16. I love John 3.16. Absolutely. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Amen? Amen? Amen. Yet we also have to bring the bear to the dilemma that we read just two verses down in 18. John 3, 18 says, He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And to further drive home the dilemma, we must go down to verse 36 in the same chapter where Scripture tells us this, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey, the word obey there means rejects, refuses to believe. The Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. If you're sitting here today and you're not in Christ, it is a perilous position because the wrath of God absolutely abides on you. If you're sitting here and you're a false professor and you think, you, you, you think you're in Christ, but you've tested yourself and you see no fruits, the wrath of God abides on you. Christ is Lord. And I want you to know you have life's greatest dilemma before you right now. If you have not truly repented and received Christ, if you have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you sit right here with the thrice holy, sovereign Lord of all creation's wrath abiding on you at this very moment. And your dilemma is so very great. And it's because for all that don't come to Christ, they reject the Spirit's call. 
What awaits is not some party where you get to enjoy your sin forever. What awaits is a literal hell where the Bible tells us in Revelation 14.10 that he will drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is mixed full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night. That's the dilemma. That's the fact. And so that's why this morning we tell you that Christ is the only answer to your dilemma. It's the only answer to the dilemma of sin. And it's so great that God crucified cursed his own son to handle this dilemma. Christ has satisfied your dilemma by his substitutionary atonement on the cross. If only you will repent and believe in him as your Lord and Savior. So as I close, let me, let me talk about some practical helps on our topic of counsel and counseling. Um, as we give counsel to each other, there's some things I think are important. The first thing that's important is that we need to listen and ask questions. We need to listen and ask questions. We need to seek to gain understanding. So parents, look up. Equal opportunity, look up, guy. If you don't want to exasperate your children, pay attention. Proverbs 18.2 says this, A fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. Proverbs 18.13 says, He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. Proverbs 18, 17 says, the first to plead his case seems right until another comes and examines him. So it's, it's critical that we listen and that we ask questions and we seek to gain understanding from each other. The second thing for a practical is that we have to search the scriptures. We have to search the scriptures. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 says, all scripture is inspired by God Proper for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped, adequate, equipped for every good work. And I want to just say this as a practical help. You don't have to have all the answers. You just need to know to go where to go get the answers. There's so many times when Kelly and I are doing counseling, we don't actually have the answers. But we, we know where to go get the answers. And so just a couple things I want to bring up in our bookstore. We've got these little CCF booklets. And this, this is on anger, this is on forgiving others. These are phenomenal resources, little 40 and 50 page booklets that deal with a, a number of things. So you can purchase these in the bookstore or you can do like I do. I go to Curtis's office when he's not in there and they seem to be free. Uh, I haven't had to pay for any yet. Uh, these quick, quick scripture references. This is one for women. This is one for, I guess, men and women. Uh, but scripture references, you just look up the topic and you find it. We can help each other. We have the Holy Spirit if we're in Christ. He illuminates truth. He will, he's our helper. And so don't be scared to step into somebody's life and walk beside them. We need each other. Um, I'll tell you one other place to look, and I'm, I'm, I'll flip this, the concordance in the back of your Bible. Just look in the back. It's, it's right, right before the book of maps, right? The concordance. Look up the topic. We, we have to help each other do what's called putting off, renewing, and putting on. Put off, renew, put on. And you can just, I won't read these texts, but Ephesians 4, 20 through 24, and Colossians 3, 1 through 14. Um, I can't tell where we are on time, but I'm preaching, so I'm going to keep preaching. This is a side note. Secular psychology, there's a dude named Aaron Beck. He was a secular psychologist that developed something in the 1960s he calls CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. Anybody ever heard of that? Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, it's a accepted practice. And they do it in, in, and so in 1960s, this was developed. So it's been around a long time, right? Because I mean, this guy's so smart. Basically what CBT does is that you basically go in and talk to a therapist. They help you identify the things you're doing that are not good for you. Whether it be something that you're an action or a thought, then they uh, help you think of what you should be doing and thinking on. And then they help you make a plan to go do that thing called CBT. And it was developed in the 1960s. But yet, in 60 to 62 AD, when Paul wrote the scriptures in Ephesians and Colossians, the Bible tells us to put off 
In Romans 12, it says to be uh, transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you'll know what the perfect and acceptable will of God is, right? And then it says to put on Christ and to put on love. There is nothing new under the sun. As Spurgeon used to say, anything that's new ain't true, and all that's true ain't new. Okay? So this CBT from 19, well, 1900 years before that, God gave us his word. The third thing we need to do is that we just need to walk side by side with each other. I'm going to recommend this book. Uh, I don't think we have it in the bookstore, but it's phenomenal. It's uh, by a guy named Ed Welch, who's one of the most renowned biblical counselors out there. Um, my daughter-in-law recommended it to me, and I told her what I'd be preaching on. And uh, she was a biblical counseling major in college, and I read it. And it's just the most clear, concise, simple approach to walking side by side with each other. In, in that book, Ed Welch puts it this way when he writes this. In our era, we consult experts, professionals, and specialists. But when you look at your own history of having been helped, it's likely that you'll notice very few experts among those who have helped you. Who were your helpers? Were they professional counselors or specialists? Probably not. Most often they were friends, the regular everyday people in your life. Friends are the best helpers. They come prepackaged with compassion and love. All they need is wisdom, and that is available to everyone. We need to walk side by side with each other. We need to be a church that counsels each other, that loves each other. Let me close in prayer. Um, Father, we, we thank you first that you give us your word, you give us truth, that we can give counsel to people with. Lord, we praise you that you give us your Holy Spirit that you have imputed to us your very righteousness so that we can receive counsel and process what we hear. Lord, I pray that anyone here today, Lord, that does not know you, that has the dilemma of what to do with their sin, Lord, I pray that your very Holy Spirit would bring conviction upon them. Lord, I pray that anyone sitting here today who is walking in unrepentant sin, Lord, that the counsel of your word would penetrate their heart. And Lord, they would first and foremost repent to you and that they would seek repentance and reconciliation and restoration with those that they have sinned against. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your truths. We thank you for your grace. In Christ's name, amen.